Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 as we are continuing our studies in the life of Christ and particularly focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, probably and no doubt the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. And what he's going to be speaking about to us today is counsel on fasting. Counsel on fasting. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. It's really a counsel, it's really counsel on holiness. Because once again, he's going to teach us how to fast or how not to fast. Let me read you something that Oswald Chambers said about prayer. He said, no spiritual exercise is such a blending of complexity and simplicity. It is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can cry, yet the sublimest strains strains that reach the majesty on high. It is as appropriate to the aged philosopher as to the little child. It is the ejaculation of a moment and the attitude of a lifetime. It is the expression of the rest of faith and of the fight of faith. It is an agony and an ecstasy. It is submissive and yet importunate. In the one moment, it lays hold of God and binds the devil. It can be focused on a single objective and it can roam the world. It can be abject confession and rapt adoration. It invests puny man with a sort of omnipotence. So again, if there's any difficulties in prayer, in our prayer life, it must be within and of ourselves. God has given us every opportunity to receive the things that we need, to receive power that we need in, in, prayer, in our prayer life and in ministry. And yet today we seem to see the church so weak when you compare it to the book of Acts, the church in the book of Acts. He's given us the power of fasting to be added to prayer, and they always seem to go together. So once again, Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount the problem here, though, of making a spectacle of yourself. That is ostentatiousness, pretentiousness. Before this, Jesus had counseled about this problem, first dealing with prayer, about making a display out of your prayer life. You know, to be seen by men. Then he dealt with the problem with our charitable deeds, with our giving. That we don't give so that people can see us and go, wow, aren't they holy? Aren't they just, you know, so godly? And now, here, he speaks about the religious practice of fasting. Because the religious leaders were doing religious rituals simply to be seen and praised by men. Their charitable deeds were done to be seen by men. Their praying was done to be seen by men. And the reason for doing these religious observances was carnal. It was fleshly. God puts a lot more importance on why we do what we do in living the Christian life. Our churches, a lot of them because of their promotional programs and their gimmicks and their contests and so on, have corrupted motivation on a large scale. In every area of the Christian life, we need to get back to these messages that Jesus gives us from the Sermon on the Mount. These messages that examine why we do what we do. 
Now, it's never wrong to warn against flashy, fleshly displays of godliness, like, oh, look at me. All throughout history, fasting has been practiced for many different reasons. Many ancient pagans believed that demons could enter the body through food. When they felt that they were under demonic attack, they would fast to keep more evil spirits from entering their bodies. Those practicing yoga of most Eastern religions and cults have always been committed to fasting often for periods of time. uh, And they would receive supernatural visions uh, and insights which they claimed to receive as a result. In modern Western society, fasting has become popular for purely physical and cosmetic reasons and is recommended in some diet programs. But the Bible teaches us no such practice of fasting for practical reasons. Sincere fasting always had a spiritual purpose, and it's never presented as having any value in and of itself. Fasting just to fast, there's no value in it. During Old Testament times, many faithful believers fasted. Men like Moses, Samson, uh, Samuel, Hannah, a woman like Hannah, David, Elijah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, and many others fasted. And in the New Testament, it tells about the fasting of Anna, John the Baptist, and his disciples, Jesus, Paul, and many others. So we know that many of the early church fathers fasted. We know that Luther, Calvin, Wesley, Whitfield, and many other outstanding Christian leaders have fasted. But the only fast that's commanded in the Bible is the one that's connected with the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16, 29. On that day, all the people were to humble their souls. A Hebrew expression, humble their souls, is a Hebrew expression that included forsaking food as an act of self-denial. That was a national fast. And it involved every man, every woman, and every child in Israel. But it only took place once a year. And then only as an important part of the Day of Atonement. Because it's not commanded anywhere else by God. Fasting isn't like giving. Fasting isn't like praying. Where there are many commands to do both in the Old and New Testament. Both the Old and New Testament speak favorably about fasting. And it records many examples of fasting by believers. But... Except for the yearly fast just mentioned, it's not required anywhere. And beyond that, fasting is shown to be a choice. Something that we do voluntarily. It is not a spiritual duty to be regularly observed. And for quite a long time now, fasting has been out of fashion. At least with the churches in the West. The very idea of someone actually fasting today, it seems pretty strange to most modern-day Christians. They put it in the same category with old-fashioned Christianity. Oh, well, that, they used to do that way back when. Or maybe they associate it with oh, well, super-spiritual Christians. Some people might think of Mahatma Gandhi when it comes to fasting. He used to use it as a weapon of passive resistance. 
as a spiritual exercise, they would think it's restricted to believers who seem to be a little extreme or fanatical. And many times you'll see protesters, you'll see men in prison. They'll go on a fast, but it's just they're just not eating to make a point or hopefully to get their way. But it's not a, a fast in the biblical idea. There are other people whose reservations about fasting, you know, concern the, the practical side. In other words, to them, fasting and starving are the same thing. And they're afraid it, it, that, that it will end up harming them in some way. They say, oh, you got to be careful because you could seriously damage your health. You know, you live such a busy life, you're on the go, and, and it's rush here and rush there, and you know, you can't afford to get run down. But why is it people have these kinds of attitudes about doing something that the Bible so clearly supports? It may be, one reason may be that, that fasting was one of the main characteristics or a self-restraint that started to show up after the apostles were gone. And then it became, extre- an extreme, uh, it became extreme in form as well as widespread in influence in medieval times. And then the times began to change. The, blows, the winds began to blow the other way as people revolted against anything that, that tasted of asceticism, that is of self-denial. And boy, the church today is suffering from that, self-denial. We do not want to deny ourselves of anything today. We haven't recovered the spiritual balance of New Testament Christianity yet. Does fasting really have any place in the life of the Christian today? When our minds are conditioned by prejudice or paralyzed by traditional views, we may face a truth in Scripture again and again. And here's the sad thing. It doesn't touch us or change us. And I see that, I've, I've seen that for years. Preaching the gospel. Preaching on certain topics that are critical to the faith, critical to our life as a Christian, critical to our witness of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't touch the hearts of people. It doesn't change. Forgiveness. Loving. You know, bitterness. It's preached to God, it's taught about all through the scriptures, and yet people will hear it, and they're not touched by it, and they're not changed by it. Then why read the Bible? Why listen to, 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 to messages and sermons? If it doesn't change us, if we don't allow it to get to our heart and to touch us. Our spiritual hang-up about that truth allows us to see but not understand it. The truth is that, that, that there is within us, is there, it, it's lying there within us, it's sleeping. The word of God, it's mentally captured. But it's not spiritually applied. This is especially true when it comes to fasting. 
But when a truth like this is first stirred up in us by the Holy Spirit, man, there's an immediate battle in the minds of those people. Maybe you're praying for an answer to something or, or a healing or, or, or a deliverance. And the Lord says, hey, why don't you try fasting? Because remember, the disciples couldn't cast out a, a demon one time. And the, the disciples couldn't, they couldn't understand why. And they went to Jesus. Well, you know, sometimes these things don't go out without prayer and fasting. Maybe it's fasting that we need to do more of. And so the, the, the end struggle, the end result of that struggle, of that battle, when that truth to fast is first stirred up in us by the Holy Spirit, and we begin to struggle with the battle, the truth of the Bible has suddenly become alive and powerful. And there is now an attack on our old attitudes and our prejudices. And again, the end result of the struggle shows whether or not we're open to receive and obey fresh light about God. And then we grow in the knowledge of that awakened truth. And I think Jesus' counsel here will help us to face the question of whether or not we're prepared to bring our present attitudes this morning about the subject of fasting or the lack of fasting and, 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 and take it to the litmus test of God's word. And then live according as to what Paul said, what I have quoted from the scriptures. And it might surprise us to see how much scripture there is to teach us by examples and instruction about the value of fasting. Now, there are also warnings as well. Because fasting does have its dangers. In New Testament times, fasting was a means of power. Are you lacking power today? Paul's prediction about having a form of godliness but not denying its power was and still is being fulfilled. There is that, that, that form of godliness today, but without the power. That's why we need to pray for a new day, for a new spiritual awakening. But it starts first with a thirst for the Holy Spirit to wake us up from our spiritual dullness and laziness. There are questions that we have. There are burdens that we have. There's desires everywhere that we look. We want answers to those questions. We want deliverance from those burdens. We need to find the answer to those things. From the neglected secrets of the early church. They're really not secrets, they're just neglected. The power that is released through a truly biblical practice of fasting to God. What we hear about fasting in our day is usually distorted practices or teaching. And many times they, go, they often go contrary to what the Bible teaches about fasting. Now some churches and organizations have encouraged fasting to raise money for programs. 
But as generous as that might be, that's not what the Bible teaches about fasting. Now, that doesn't mean that if you skip a meal to help donate money for food for others is wrong. It just means that this is not what the Bible means when it talks about fasting as it's taught by Jesus in our text here. Just what exactly is fasting? Well, biblical fasting, and that's what we want to know. Biblical fasting is basically abstaining from food for a period of time for spiritual reasons. Biblical fasting is not dieting. Now, as we all know, man, there's a lot of talk about dieting today. And as good as fasting and dieting might be, it's not what the Bible means when it talks about fasting. Also, biblical fasting is not abstaining from food because you're sick. And as we all know, and we probably all experienced at one time or another, we haven't eaten, we don't eat because we're sick and, and we don't want to eat. We don't feel like eating. This doesn't have anything to do with biblical fasting. Neither is biblical fasting substituting one food for another, like eating fish on Fridays and not beef or pork. This has nothing to do with biblical fasting. So in principle, biblical fasting emphasizes the matter of self-denial, which isn't a popular subject in our day. And a lot of people aren't willing to deny themselves for spiritual matters. Because the world tells us, pamper yourself. It says, save yourself. It says, exalt yourself. It says, love yourself. What did Jesus say? Deny yourself. Anything that has to do with self-denial for spiritual reasons will usually get the cold shoulder by a lot of Christians. There's nothing in the Bible that would even suggest that fasting is something that was done only in the past and that we don't need to do it anymore today. In Jesus' day, fasting went along with the charitable deeds that they did and the prayers that they gave. And fasting was recognized as an expression of a religious, that is a godly life, a spiritual life. Now, fasting might be out of style today, but it's not out of date. Fasting applies today just as much as it did during Christ's time on earth. Nowhere in our Lord's teaching is there anything to discourage us to fast. Now, Jesus was definitely not being critical or disapproving of this religious practice of fasting here in our text. What he was doing, he was giving a warning against hypocrisy again. Now, we've already heard Jesus say, don't be a hypocrite when you're doing your charitable deeds. He said, don't be a hypocrite when you pray. He said, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Now here Jesus says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. It's interesting how much he talked about hypocrisy. And I thought about it. It's one of the biggest problems in the church today. What is one of the biggest reasons 
that you hear for the unbeliever not going to church. Man, that church is so full of hypocrites. I knew a Christian one time, and he was such a hypocrite. And when they say the church is full of hypocrites, I tell them, yeah, well, there's room for one more. Come on, why don't you join us? (laughs) Hypocrisy is a big problem in the church today. The church of Jesus Christ. Hypocrisy is a huge stain on the church's reputation. It's a huge stain on Christianity. More importantly, it's a stain on the character of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we represent. Now, Jesus takes it for granted that his disciples will fast. Just like he took it for granted that they would pray because he said in, in, in verse 16, when you, he says, you know, when you pray, and he says, when you fast. He says, when you fast in verse 16. So he takes it for granted. Okay, so when you fast. He didn't say, well, I hope you fast. And, you know, you know, hey, you guys, no. He says, when you fast. And we'll see, answer to that in the scriptures, when you should fast. So when should you fast? We'll see what is real and we'll see what is, what is acceptable fasting. Fasting was to be done for special occasions. It was a special practice and not a routine. It was a regular practice. I'm sorry, it was a special practice and not a routine and not a regular practice. Israel was commanded to fast, again, only once a year. And they were to to afflict themselves. Now, the word afflict uh, in these Old Testament references is the early Mosaic expression for fasting. Now, the rest of the fasting was to be instinctive. That is, whenever some crisis or other important situation came up, instinctively, I got to fast. You know, somebody's sick, I got got to fast. There's a crisis of some kind, I got to fast. Whenever some crisis or important situation come up, it should be instinctive to fast. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, Nineveh fasted when judgment was hanging over their heads. In Ezra chapter 8, 21, Ezra called for a fast when he was in the critical place of leading his people from Babylon back to Israel. Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1, 4. Nehemiah fasted and prayed when he heard about the terrible conditions in Jerusalem. So you see, biblical fasting is associated with important and urgent occasions. It's not a weekly or monthly practice that you do routinely. It's reserved for special occasions. So that tells us when we're to fast. Now, why should you fast? Basically, fasting is done to give you more help to do your spiritual duties. So fasting is not the end in itself. We don't fast just to fast. That's not the purpose of fasting. Fasting is simply a means to an end and no more. The idea that there's worth in just fasting is not the biblical idea. Fasting must be connected to an important purpose or result. Otherwise, it has no good spiritual reason for being done. And fasting allowed a person... 
to give themselves more completely to his or her spiritual duties. And in Scripture, fasting is often joined with prayer most of the time. They go together. When earnest prayer was required, people fasted so that they could give themselves to prayer without interruption. To skip a meal in order to get some work done is not an unusual practice in the secular world. The purpose of biblical fasting was the same. It was then to allow more attention and action to some task like praying. But again, not a lot of people are willing to to abstain from much of anything these days in order to stimulate and to help their spiritual lives and the things that they do. Because the appetite of the flesh is way too strong and most people to ever think about fasting to engage in some spiritual duty or battle. The main reason that Jesus brought the subject of fasting up and the main main theme about fasting, once again, has to do with the problem of pretentiousness in fasting that was pretty widespread among the religious leaders. Now, Jesus wasn't giving exhortations too fast. He was simply giving instructions dealing with the subject of pretentiousness. In other words, how not to fast, not to make it showy, not to bring attention to yourself, not to let people know that you're fasting. Let's look now at verse 16 of chapter 6. And Jesus said, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. And assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Notice Jesus says, verse 16, that they may appear to men to be fasting. They may look like they're fasting to those around them. Religion of a certain kind, at least, had a high status among the Jews. And because of that, there was a strong temptation to take on the appearance of godliness among them. Because again, for a religious person among those, that was, that was a high status. And so to take on the appearance of fasting, oh, they, you know, they were really looked at highly as a spiritual person. And the Pharisees, oh, they love to be seen. They love to be thought as by the crowds as, oh, they are extremely holy. And the Pharisees wanted so badly to be called a great man of God. So the the, the pretentiousness in their fasting was driven by their pride. It wasn't motivated by spirituality or their love for God. It was motivated by pride. They were hungry for self-glory. Oh, look at me. But many of us would say there aren't too many things that are more distasteful or disgusting and ugly as religious pride. And to use religious practices which were too humble. Religious practices were too humble. But here they were used to exalt self. And that was especially sickening. Fasting was to be done to show humility. But the scribes and the Pharisees, they were filled with religious pride. 
Listen to what Jesus said about the obnoxious, these obnoxious religious leaders in Matthew 23, 5 through 7. Jesus said, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes. Those were the phylacteries that were tied to their wrist by leather. He said, they wear extra, extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the, at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. Oh, and they love to be called rabbi. And when they fasted, they would do it in such a way that people could see them. And, and that they could give them more praise that would feed their pride. Pretentiousness in godly service is nothing more than, a, than pride at work in the person. When we do godly things for God, and we do them with our eyes looking around, like, oh, you know, is everybody watching me? Oh, yeah, watch this. No, you know, you know. If we do that, looking around for people to see us, to give us more praise, to feed our pride, there's nothing godly about that. To see if people are watching. Again, Jesus said, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. These religious leaders that Jesus is talking about here, they would walk around in public with sad, gloomy faces. With, you know, drawn faces, sad faces. They were giving the appearance that they were afflicting their souls through their fasting. Now, true fasting wasn't a joyous occasion. It wasn't a cheerful work. It was the afflicting of the soul, especially in sorrow over sins. So you see, to walk around with gloomy, a gloomy appearance, it left the impression that the person was fasting and was afflicting their soul and was mourning over some spiritual situation. But the truth here is that these hypocrites, these Pharisees, they weren't sad at all. It was all a show. They were just putting on a show for the people to see. In fact, they enjoyed walking around town with their little sad face because people would praise them for their super spirituality. Jesus said here in 16, they disfigured their faces that they may appear to, be, uh, appear to men to be fasting. These religious leaders who were hypocrites, they were, the wor- they were the worst kind of hypocrites. They deliberately did what they, they could to look feeble and, and, and to look withered so that they might better show off their fasting. Jesus said here, notice, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And once again, he was saying, These hypocrites will not receive any reward from God. Because they will receive man's praise. Now think of it, man's praise and man's admiration, that's a pretty shabby reward. The word assuredly, calls attention to the extremely poor quality of man's reward. If all you get for your life in this life is the praise of men, you have received the cheapest and smallest reward possible. Because the praise of men is not lasting. 
It's not satisfying. And you can't take it with you to heaven. It won't be there. Verses 17 and 18. Jesus said, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but your father, but to your father who was in the secret place, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Well, I just went one verse ahead, but in verses 17 through 18, Jesus here gives us some more instructions about the right way to fast that would help us to avoid the problem with pretentiousness. Jesus said here, when you fast, you know, in, in, our, in our terms, he said, when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, take care of your appearance. It's important. It was the habit of the people when they were fasting to neglect their appearance. The Pharisees, in their pretentiousness in fasting, they exaggerated this neglect. They said that is they they exaggerated their, their 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 neglect by using cosmetics even and other things to make them look really gloomy and, and, and have a sad face. Jesus said those who truly fast should do just the opposite: put on a happy face. You see, they were not to change their appearance to draw attention to their fasting, but they were to keep up their normal appearance. Anointing the head, washing their face, those were normal, everyday hygienic duties. And again, to put it in today's language, we're to keep taking care of ourselves, taking care of our hair, whatever needs to be done to give our hair an acceptable appearance, plus washing the face and keeping it looking clean. All of this says that when you do your religious practices, you're not to do anything that draws extra attention to yourself to show your godliness. Jesus said, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. Keeping your outward appearance normal would hide any additional godly practices. It's the same as praying in the closet where only God sees you. It's also the same as giving your alms, that is your charitable deeds, as private as possible, not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This order... This order to appear normal when we fast, it must not be confused as deception like the Pharisees who put on makeup and did other things to give the appearance of fasting. Because there's a big difference between deception and keeping your religious acts like praying and fasting private so only God can see. Taking care of yourself normally doesn't mean you're not fasting or praying, but it doesn't draw attention to what you're doing. It doesn't draw attention to your religious acts. And if we would work, work as hard to keep our religious acts private as some do to make them public, our spirituality would be clearly improved. Jesus said, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father. The appeal in fasting is to God. We're doing it for God, to God, not to man. Fasting is done to attract the attention of God and not people. 
You see, by fasting, we're showing God our dedication and our sincerity to him. When we start doing religious exercises that gets people's attention, then we've lost sight of what these religious exercises are all about. They have to do with our appeal to God and not man. For example, again, when the Ninevites prayed and fasted, they prayed and fasted with God in mind. They were appealing to God for his mercy. They were fasting and praying to God for his mercy. They needed his mercy or they were going to be wiped out. But those who use religious practices to gain the praises of the people, they have perverted the religious practices. Jesus said, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jesus said, okay, people may not see what you've done. But your father has. And that's what really counts. And he'll reward you. Maybe, you know, he may be quietly, it may be in public. In order to get men's rewards, we have to be seen by men. But with God, it doesn't matter whether we're seen by men or not. We're going to get the rewards because God sees us. Our work might be out in the open where everybody sees it. It might be in private where not one person sees it. But it doesn't matter. When God is doing the rewarding because he sees in secret. This is a sure reward because he sees in secret. In closing, we never have to worry whether or not God knows about our consecration. We will never miss any awards from God because nobody, just because nobody sees the things that we do. You see, God looks at the heart. And that's all that's necessary for receiving heavenly rewards. You may be living for God faithfully with great consecration and commitment and be in total obscurity. In other words, living for God in dedication and consecration commitment and the things that you do, nobody sees them. It's okay. Because that will not hinder one bit the heavenly reward that will come to you for your commitment to God. Because again, God sees everything and nothing that you do will be overlooked or missed. Jesus said again, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This reward is from God the Father. It's heavenly in, na- in, in nature. It's heavenly in its character. It won't corrupt. It won't rust. It can't be stolen. Nobody can take it from you. No earthly reward compares to God's rewards. Earthly rewards, they're not lasting. They don't satisfy. And you know what? They often corrupt people. God will reward you openly. Men may not see, have seen your godly works that you did in private, but they will see your rewards for what you did. God can exalt and vindicate you very easily. Whether the reward is in heaven or on earth, God can make it known to the world. God can expose sin so that everybody knows about it. This will be especially public when we're rewarded in eternity. Then a lot of great consecrated living will be made known that never made the front page news. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for this wonderful lesson on fasting, Lord. 
especially the warnings against doing it for other people to to see God and to take notice and to come and, and, and praise us for being oh so spiritual when we're nothing of the kind, Lord. Father, we're just sinners saved by grace. And anything that we do good, Father, it's because of Jesus Christ in us. It's because of his moving in our hearts. Because he has been the one who stirred us up to do it, God. Because our flesh does not care about spiritual things. It comes from our spiritual nature in Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Again, the natural man, the natural woman doesn't care about the new birth. They don't care about a relationship with Jesus Christ. But that's where we must trust, trust God by faith. When Jesus tells us we must be born again and that we'll never get to the Father except through Jesus Christ, we must believe that truth and we must trust God by faith in Christ that we will see that day. As the worship team leads us in a time of worship, this time is for you. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we pray that God's Spirit has spoken to your heart and you recognize your need for Christ. You recognize your need for salvation, for your sins to be forgiven. Because apart from Christ, you have nothing. Nothing of eternal value. All earthly, all temporal, all fading. As we worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get up out of your seat. You make your way towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when this song is over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.